everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is the impish yet delightful Jonathan Strickland. Stri- Jonathan Strickland. <laughs> I can say your name. <laughs> well, Ariel Kasten, it is good to be on the episode again. <laughs> Nay, Jonathan Strickland is here. To take over for that bald idiot who is usually on the show. Wow, you you came all the way from uh, yesteryear, that's a word, uh, to join us, it sounds like. (laughs) Oh yeah, just wait till I tell you how you can get in touch with me at the end. Oh goodness, oh good. You know, I've had some listeners uh, write in saying like they're running out of paper airplanes and and those stop signs were dead ends. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Gregory. uh (laughs) Um, yeah, well, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just had to kick this uh, this weird impish fellow out from the microphone. Man, you get up to do one quick bio break, and, and the next thing you know, all so the riffraff move. I thought it was going to bring like a whole new like joie de vivre to the show, but that's fine. I'm glad Listen, to have you back, Jonathan. I will joie all the vivre you want, okay? <laughs> it's I, No one replaces the Strickland. That's that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so uh, you're you're doing some piratey stuff. Is that is that because you got all these like sea shanties stuck in your head? Yes, it is. If I'm being honest, it is. I'm. In fact, I went through about eight sea shanties before Ariel logged on. Uh, I was I was in the middle of leave her Johnny Lever when she when she connected and she finished the chorus for me. But yes, I in fact have been because I watched a. And it's one I'd seen before, but I watched one of the breaking news network videos where mm-hmm. at the point where, you know, they, they tried to hang the the news anchors out to dry. The the concept behind this show, it's it's from College Humor. It's that the people posing as news anchors are reading off teleprompters, but they have no idea what the teleprompter is going to say. They occasionally have to improvise. And the goal is to try and get through the newscast without smiling or laughing. And then whoever smiles and laughs the most loses. And the one I saw had a bit where one of the, uh, the news anchors uh, got the, the, the blind prompt of singing a sea shanty, but she did it. So Mm -hmm. way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I like breaking news network. I've watched all of it now, but um, it can get a little bit like too potty humor for me. I think the more potty humor it gets, the more delightful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I find I just... it. Honestly, it's also like it becomes it becomes a a vehicle for specific writers to mess with specific like people yeah. on the show. Like you you start to see grudges form <laughs> on Breaking I mean, News and, Network. Like that meta part of it is fun. It's just I don't like a lot of blue humor, but that's the easiest way to get someone to laugh. Oftentimes, it seems like at least within the college humor crew. So the dropout crew. I don't know what to call them now, I guess. Yeah. Well, they'd still do college humor branded stuff too. So, but anyway, all of that is uh, just to lead us into the fact that we've got uh, a little bit of geek news. We, we first thought we weren't going to have very much at all because this was one of those weeks where we just hadn't uncovered a lot of stories. We added a few more today. Uh, Mm -hmm. But before we get into any of that, we of course have our beloved segment, 30 30 seconds or less. And first up is Ariel. Yes. So we have uh, someone set to helm the episodes of 
uh, Wonder Man that Marvel is putting out and Disney Plus is putting out, one of the series that's up, up and coming. Her name is Stella Maggie. She previously directed The Photograph. Um, I, I'm not very familiar with her, but I am excited for this series. She'll be working along with Daniel Dustin Cretton, who has worked on uh, things such as Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Andrew Guest, who worked on 30 Rock. So a team like that makes it seem like, you know, we don't know much about this show yet, but I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And this is just a rumor right now. Marvel hasn't commented on it, but it's like, I suspect that it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is one of those series about a character I know very, very little about. Also, uh, we'll talk more about Marvel when we get into stuff that we've seen recently, because uh, it, it prompts some questions I have uh, based upon what I have heard of the most recent Marvel film. But uh, we'll put it aside. I'll talk about something else that Marvel's doing, and that is Thunderbolts. So Thunderbolts is the series that's about like anti-heroes who are formed into a, a team. Uh, the MCU version has characters like Winter Soldier, Red Guardian, uh, Yelena Belova from uh, Black Widow. And now we know that Steven Yun is joining the series. We do not know what character Steven Yun is playing. He was Glenn in The Walking Dead. And uh, yeah, it just sounds like they're really rounding out the cast, but we still don't know very many details. Yeah, it, it's funny to me because like the article on Hollywood Reporter says shady characters. And then it names three people who are, are a little shady. And then a bunch of people I would have just were, said were straight up bad guys. So um <laughs> Yeah, well, in, Interesting. It, at least in some of the cases, like like both with Ghost and with uh, Taskmaster, you're talking about people who have been either forced into it or manipulated into it. Like they had no other alternative yeah. kind of thing. So um, U.S. agent is probably it's just a stupid face. He's just a stupid dark. face. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> beyond just a stupid face, he outright murdered <laughs> one of yeah, the he, uh, flag smashers. Yeah, yeah, he's he. Anyhow. Uh, maybe he can redeem himself. Uh, okay, on to the next thing. This is another rumor. I think it's the last like actual rumor rumor that we have. Uh, the Express, the, the Sun in the UK has said that Bridgerton is removing corsets from their costumes. A bunch of actors were complaining about uh, uncomfortability and they were worried about damage, um, like short-term and long-term damage from wearing the corsets. I... Hollywood is rife with, for making people wear things that are uncomfortable or even dangerous. If you go back and you watch like the wizard of Oz, there are a whole bunch of problems with those costumes and makeup and things like that. But, but as a person who has spent 11 years in corsets and has had no, maybe a little bit of temporary discomfort, but no lasting damage. The worst I've had are some like uh, bodice or corset bruises that have gone away in a couple of days. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's not, I don't feel like it's necessary, especially for Regency stays, which are really just supportive garments. They aren't, they're like, I have bras that cause more damage than Regency stays. It's not like, not like a, not like a whalebone corset that's cinched super tight. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure there's some discomfort and I know you want to be comfortable as an actor and actors go through so much to get a good shot, whether it's comfortable or not. I don't know if this is true. It feels kind of silly to me, but I, I am biased. I do want to say something though. Ariel okay. said, she said that she never suffered any really serious harm from wearing corsets for all those years. Y'all, she didn't, but you should have seen the broken hearts in her wake. She caused oh. so much damage 
just walking through the fairgrounds of the Georgia See? Renaissance Festival. Sure, it didn't affect her directly, but let me tell you, the loved ones of those poor men and women who found themselves just completely lost after she sure. passed by. Ugh. You're incredibly kind, Jonathan. We should move on to the next story. All right, we'll do. So the next story is that HBO Max has signed a deal to make Welcome to Derry. Uh, this would be a prequel to it. I almost said IT, but that's different. Uh, <laughs> I, I would the, take a prequel to the IT crowd that's like Welcome to Derry, where they're all lactose intolerant. Okay, yeah. sorry. Go well, ahead. The, the, 30 is, seconds. This, <laughs> this is the prequel to it. We had actually kind of mentioned the possibility of this earlier. Now it looks like it's going to become a reality. And I think Ariel and I probably still have the same opinion of, do we need this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, that went well over 30 seconds. So this next one, um, okay, Netflix is changing prices. They're lowering prices for, for many um, uh, areas of, of uh, sale. All of a sudden, I can't remember the world for that. Uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of their... Um, they're, they're lowering pr prices in a lot of different countries, not in the U.S. Um, they are they know that they're going to take a loss per, uh, basically, sub subscriber for it, but they're hoping that they'll make up for it in getting more subscribers in those areas. In the U.S., we had a price increase, but then they also gave us, like, an ad-supported tier that is cheaper. So uh, six of one kind, half a dozen of another. Yeah. Uh, I like to think of this as we'll make it up in volume. Yes, that, which that, didn't work so well with content creation. No, um, no, we'll make it up with volume. Sometimes works, but rarely. Uh, but, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, I mean, they have to try stuff, right? Because everybody's still trying to figure out how to make streaming work. I don't think streaming is a bad idea. We just haven't found the sweet spot for it yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it was uh, as someone who worked at one point for Zaslov under the discovery <laughs> under the discovery umbrella. I will say that, you know, working at that company where I got to listen to so many different meetings that were really focused on the cable side, which made sense because that was the major part of Discovery's business was the cable side of the business, uh, that the long-term strategy for the longest time was get into more homes, but eventually you hit saturation and you just can't get into more homes because you're like pretty much everyone who wants it has it and everybody else doesn't want it. So if that's the only way you can continue to grow and because growth is one of the most important metrics for a company, especially a publicly traded company, you've, you've run into a brick wall and you got to figure out something else. So Netflix is probably saying, well, how can we move the needle on subscriber growth? And one way to do that is to bring the price down, at least in some markets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go on to the next story, which is not about running into brick walls, but maybe features some characters who could run through brick walls. Uh, sure. We yeah. We're... We didn't need a segue for our 30 seconds or less, but I did it. No, <laughs> you're, we're, you're welcome. We're, this one's gone off the rails. But uh, <laughs> so we're talking about the Marvels that originally was supposed to come out July 28th this year. But Disney has now pushed that back. It will now come out November 10th. And instead of the Marvels, that July 28th spot is going to the Haunted Mansion movie, which is actually moving up from an August date. Not really any talk about why this happened. So we just know it's happening. Uh, my, my guess is maybe just uh, editing and production and special effects on one is moving faster than the other. Possibly. But it's also possible, like we're going to get into it. It's also possible that 
this was a, a specific decision to space apart the Marvel movies a little bit more. But we'll talk well, more about well, that. We, we talked about that a little bit last week, too. So Yeah, that's true. I, I think we're going to keep um, talking about it because, you know, when Disney announces 73 Marvel movies for one year, you got to start asking questions. It's not that many. It's not that many. OK, uh, so this past week, we got a, a, another little clip from Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves that's coming out in March. Uh, and this clip finally finally made Jonathan go, oh, maybe there's something here with this movie. It's uh, Chris Pines. I think he's a, he's a bard. Yes. He a bard? Uh, character is talking to uh, a corpse to try to get some information. And when you uh, speak with the dead in D&D, you have a limited number of questions. And uh, it's it's very like uh, Three Stooges level comedy. Um, but right I thought on, right on my level. Yeah, I saw this clip. I'm like, Jonathan would like this clip. And sure enough, he picked me. He's like, I saw this clip. I actually kind of like it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just to explain, because you know, <laughs> it's 30 seconds or less, but go ahead. <laughs> listen, we the corset thing went about three minutes. So <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and take a little bit more time here. Uh, the So this D&D promo, the reason why it uh, appealed to me is not because I thought the comedy played out within the context of this fantasy film. It actually feels very corny for a fantasy film. Like the old joke of you, you have five questions and then you end up wasting them because you're not thinking properly before you phrase your, your questions. That's not why I liked it. Why I liked it is because as I was watching it, I could imagine the real world gaming session where players are trying to figure out the five questions they're going to ask. And because of the way they word things and because the game master is kind of a jerk, the game master ends up having them waste all their questions because they're not being careful enough. And I'm like, I can get this from a meta level, like from a meta level, this joke works for me. I'm not sure it works within the well, context of the, the film. The, the game is saying that they don't want to do a lot of meta, but I think it's one of those things where it's like, uh, it's a situation that multiple people, people, multiple people have run into with their characters, so they can relate to it on a character level. Mm. Um, that, but it does make me feel like the previous, the previous um, advertisements were maybe just, and I've said this before, so I'm not going to harp on it. Just um, take the jokes out of context. You don't have the the build, build or the relationship around it, which is what makes them work. Yeah, or the situation around it. All right, we have one last thirty seconds. Or maybe three three minutes or less. Uh. Yeah, it's uh. So you remember Rogers the musical from Hawkeye, that series where they end up going to New York and seeing a Broadway musical based on the Avengers, and even Ant Man's there, despite the fact that Ant Man wasn't there in the actual story that they're depicting. Well, now we're going to get a one act version of Rogers the musical, but only at Disneyland. So if you go to California Adventure this summer, there will be a limited number of performances of Rogers the Musical. And yeah, you bet it. I'm going to do my best to get out there and see this. Nice. I can't wait to hear your review on it. Uh, speaking of reviews and, and Marvel movies, I saw Ant-Man Quantumania or whatever the title is. This It's, past it's the Quantumaniacs. Yeah. There's Yakko, Wacko and Dot. There's, there's, uh, yeah, that's exactly no correct. Yes. <laughs> Listen, okay. Uh, it, there were times where Modoc looked awesome, and then there are times where I was like, I'm looking at Modoc, I'm like, why, why? Um, 
but uh, no, I, th- I thought they did it well. Um, the storyline there uh, real quick, my, my high level view, cause I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. I enjoyed quantum mania. I did. Um, the stakes didn't, didn't feel super high. And it wasn't because they weren't high stakes. There was a lot of setup for Kang. If you like Kang, it's great. You know, I liked Kang. I know Jonathan liked Kang. My husband liked Kang, uh, the conqueror who is being set up for the villain. Um, he does some really cool stuff. I like, I actually like some of the fights in this movie. There's a lot of great humor. Um, it just, there's, the characters don't have a lot of growth. And that's, it's not that they necessarily need it. A lot of these people are established. And so like, they're like, okay, here's my experiences. Here's what we need to do. Let's do it. And that's kind of the the storyline. You know, there's, it, it makes them feel a little one note, which can kind of make you divest. But the, the comedy, um, the visuals, the... Uh, it was my favorite Star Wars recent Star Wars movie. Um, uh, yeah, when so. she said that to me, I thought that she made a mistake. I'm not the only person who like. Uh, there are articles about people saying that it's a Star Wars, it's Marvel's Star Wars movie, and people are like, "What?" and had the same reaction as you, Jonathan. I didn't see those articles until after I said that it was my favorite recent Star Wars movie, and then uh, my husband shared them with me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was fun. I just thought it was fun. Um, what, what was the tone of the film? Because I remember when we first started watching the trailers a couple of months ago, we were worried that it was going to be another kind of grim story where maybe not everyone makes it out kind of thing. Um, I don't think that's the case. There's, there's, there's definitely some darker stuff. Um, I, I really, it's hard to do. I, I feel like the even though there wasn't character growth, the acts that they put within the movie were good. The way that they started it, uh, the the final fight, and then the end, I thought were really great choices. Um, throughout that, there was, I mean, there was a lot of action. There's a lot of like, you know, here's this big bad that's that's attacking people, and you know, Kang is in the comics. He destroys a lot of galaxies. Um, if you have you, if you haven't been watching, if you aren't familiar with the character, you know he's not um, Galactus. Is that the right one? Yeah, the Galactus planet is the eater? planet eater. Yeah, yeah, but you know he does wreak. He's got multi versions, multiverses of versions of himself, and he wreaks havoc and he kills lots of people. And it's it's unlike Thanos or something like that, at least in the comics. You know, it's yet to be seen in these movies, and I'm not going to spoil anything from Ant Man and and the quantum mania acts but uh you know to me kang has what i know about him has always seemed much more self-serving there's there's like not that nobility behind it um which might also have make it harder for some people to like connect with the story but um so there are some darker moments but uh no it was just rather enjoyable i i enjoyed it did he feel like the same kang from loki or did it feel like a very different kang well, I can't tell you that, Jonathan. It would ruin things. How would that ruin things? I'm just asking um, about his personality. He felt, he felt different. He felt different. Okay. I, yeah, I, knew, he, I mean, I, he is a he is a different Kang, right? Yeah, because the Kang in Loki dies. Like, that's, I mean, spoiler alert for someone who hasn't so. watched Loki that's like a couple of years old now, but uh, that that version of Kang is, like, that's the yeah. pivotal moment at the end of so, that series. So, so he, he does feel different. He also feels the same. Jonathan Majors has a very specific way of acting. It's not that it's disingenuous, but he acts through his mouth. There's actually a creator on TikTok and, and and Facebook who who does like mouth impressions of different of different actors, and I think he's a great one because he emotes a lot through his mouth and and he acts through his mouth and and his expressions. And it's not that again, they're they're earnest and they're honest, uh, 
but to me it comes across like i don't know melodramatic's the wrong word but he very much wears uh his heart on his mouth um and (laughs) uh and uh so like that carries across all of his all of the two versions of kang um (laughs) but 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 I like it. Also, Tony was like he kind of felt like a Shakespearean villain, which is great because he first showed up in Loki, where uh, Tom Hiddleston is a Shakespearean actor. So who better to put against a Shakespearean antihero than a Shakespearean villain? So great yeah. great casting choice, Seraphin. Great I, casting um, choice. I I am curious about this uh, it, as it stands. Ant Man and Quantumania of Solace or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> um, it's it's. Um, it's it's rating at around 48% rotten tomatoes that's and, but um, that's that's with um critics it's got a higher it always has a higher score. with audience score unless unless it's, it's a prestige film unless it's a prestige yeah but i tend to side with critics more than i do general audiences so cuz I, I think I, about the movies i watch <laughs> i had said that it was like my favorite phase 4 movie but it's actually the beginning phase five but i liked it more than love and thunder i liked it better than um uh, multiverse of madness and you liked uh, it better than no way home Mm, speaks volumes yeah i well i liked no way home so i I liked it better than you jonathan um I, I actually quite liked No Way Home. The, like the biggest thing for me was that like I was dealing with a sick cat at that time last year or two yeah. years, two Christmases ago. Um, and so that tempered things. But I enjoyed the movie. I didn't think it was the strongest movie. This, I, I think it's it's I think you might enjoy it more, Jonathan. And the nice thing is, like, I, I went to a theater. I went on President's Day. I did go to a theater. But we were like the only people in there that day. And I don't know if it's the poor reviews or because most people work in the middle of the day on President's Day and I had it off. I was very, very lucky. Um, but um, yeah, so it was a, a nice, <laughs> quiet, uh, em- empty, but delightful viewing experience. Hmm. I I am. I mean, I'm sure I will go see it. I just I don't know when I may. Maybe this will be another one that I just wait for to come to Disney Plus. Uh, the things I have heard from friends and from critics kind of have set my expectations much lower. I feel and like I think, I think you should go in with low expectations. I feel, I feel <laughs> like this, this whole, like I defended the approach of phase four a lot because I was like, listen, you've got to set the stage before you can build all the way up to the epic confrontation. Like we didn't get Thanos at the end of Iron Man, right? That didn't, that wouldn't have made sense. And that even when we started to see Thanos, we would just get a little glimpse in a post credit sequence. And then the next movie wouldn't mention him at all. It was just to build toward what would become the, the penultimate and ultimate Avengers movies in those phases. So I was thinking, of course we have to do the same thing. Like we have to rebuild because you can't just keep building on top of something as epic as those Avengers movies, because you top out, you you can't go any bigger. And then what do you do? Uh, mm-hmm. But that being said, they just, it, it has failed to really gain the kind of traction. I feel like the movies are missing a lot of the charm. Um, I feel they are getting a little, not literally cookie cutter, but you start to recognize the beats mm-hmm. in each of these movies. 
and you start to like, you're like, oh yeah, here's the, I know what's going to happen now because it's following the playbook. So, and I'm, I'm kind of, um, I mean, I, I'm kind of burnt out, like, which is, I, I wish I weren't. Which is why we, we talked about last week, Kevin, uh, Fish, Kevin Feige said that he's going to, uh, one of these, look, it's, it's first you were making bets on whether I'd get an email address out there. And now you can take bets on how soon I will remember to look up how to pronounce his last name so that I give this man justice. Because and whether, whether you remember it week to week. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, that's why he said, you know, we talked about it last week. They are both going to make less Marvel stuff, which there's still a lot of Marvel stuff on the slate, but it's also going to be more spaced out because, and I think, I think much like video games where we talk about video games that maybe, and, and like Captain Marvel that are delayed because they aren't ready yet. You know, I think if they take some more time to really figure out how to make each of these scripts stand out as their own unique thing, or at least own unique, um, you know, f- franchise or section within the Marvel verse, you know, mm-hmm. so like all of the Thor is a certain way. Um, not that it has to be because that can get cookie cutter too. I, I think, I think it'll be beneficial. And, you know, so going back to Captain Marvel, maybe it's a good thing there. Well, uh, before we move on into the news, let's talk a little bit more about some of the stuff we've seen. How far along on the last of us are you now? I just finished episode three. Thank you. I will, I'll never be ha- It, it was super sad because it's a super relatable sadness in that episode. Right. Um, it still didn't leave me with no hope like children of men did. Uh, well, I, I would, I would say episode three is sad, but it's also beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful, but it's one of those situations that I go, I, I couldn't, I could not be in that situation. I hope I am never, ever, 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 ever in that situation. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, wait, wait till you hit episode five. Okay. So just, ah, uh, you're really building it up for me, Jonathan. What I, did you watch? I mean, uh, well, I watched last of us. I've got to, I watched episode six. Um, was it a breather? Was it a breather? A breather. Episode. Um, kind of like there's some, there's some, uh, really heavy interpersonal drama in episode six, but nothing, Nothing as harrowing, I would say, as what you get in episode five. Um, but I, I watched that. Um, I uh, here for a catch up on on Night Court. I watched about two thirds of episode seven, and I turned it off because I didn't like it so much. I, I was like, I, I am not finishing this. it. I haven't watched this week's. I've been so so busy. It's, I mean, it's not that it, okay. It's just extremely middle of the road sitcom material. Like it's, it's so, it feels so bland and uninspired to me that I, I turned it off. Cause I was like, this just, I feel like this isn't worth the time it takes to watch it, which is saying something considering some of the stuff I will watch and rewatch. Um, so I, I, I bailed on that. But uh, yeah, so really Last of Us was I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've watched that falls into the geeky category this past you, week. But I have think you that watched more Severance? I haven't yet. No, I have not. But so I like to watch Severance, but I need to watch it uh, on my own because my wife's not watching it. So I have to find time when I've got time uh, and she's not like I'm not doing stuff with her. And um, uh I just haven't put aside more time to watch more, but I will because that first episode, I loved it. 
So I'm really gotcha. looking forward to to following along. I just haven't done that one yet. No, I I've mostly been watching stuff that doesn't really fall into the geek category. Uh, and uh, the big one being Brooklyn nine, nine. I never really watched that show when it was on the air. I saw like maybe two mm-hmm. or three episodes and I'm kind of binging it now. Yeah. I had to go back to Brooklyn nine, nine the first time. And I'm, I'm sure I've said this on the show before the first time I watched it, I didn't care for it. And then the second time I watched it, I absolutely adored it. So yeah. I'm um, same uh, with parks and rec. <laughs> it's really fun to watch uh, Stephanie Beatrice as uh, Rosa Mm-hmm. And think this is also Mirabel from Encanto. Encanto, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, her, her, her Rosa persona is fantastic, and you know, um, uh, so we've lo- watched a lot of stuff, and you know, we we've talked about Marvel spreading stuff out, but also pilot season is getting spread out. Um, and, and part of the reason we didn't know if we were going to have a lot to talk about is because uh, pilot season usually starts in February in LA and kind of in Georgia. Georgia has less of a pilot season where everybody's like making new content. But this year, it's an, we hit an all-time low. That I think there's only like 13 pilots that are getting picked up. And part of that is just because of the success of uh, off-season pilot launches. Part of that is due to... Um, uh, just streaming networks trying to figure out what they want to do. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's getting renewed because it's already proven to be effective and profitable, or at least get, get people who, who want to watch it all the way through. Um, and then part of it's because uh, the, the writers guild of America's contract three-year agreement expires on May 1st. And so they're going into negotiations for a new contract on March 20th. And that means that we might be, there's, talk of a possible writer strike i i honestly i don't know much about it um but you know they're 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 gonna work on things like increasing basic wages streaming and streaming residuals and and work for uh, fight back against smaller writers rooms because as people cut costs they're like well we you know that cuts everywhere right yeah um down downsizing is a legit thing across all industries um that sucks uh so and then you know Again, this whole streaming thing, it's, it's, I had see stroke about, or almost struck about this, or they did strike. Were they, did they actually go on strike? I can't recall now. A few, couple years back. There was um, a brief strike. Yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, just, it, it's the, it's the way of the industry. Um, but thankfully, you know, we do have some great new content coming out still um, that we want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, a little bit more just on the writer's strike, just for a second before we move on. The last time we had a major writer strike was in 2007. And if you were paying attention to content back then, you probably remember there were lots of shows that had kind of like an early end to them or a late start and that you kind of had some half seasons because writers were on strike for part of the time when they would have been writing for these shows. It's also when we got Dr. Horrible sing along blog because Joss Whedon and uh, his brother and and others were, you know, they, they had nothing going on. So they just decided to do their own little independent web-based series. And we got that, which was uh, a fun twist on the supervillain origin story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Fun in, in quotation marks, because of course, being a Whedon project, it ended up having, you know, a sad turn at the end because no one's yeah. allowed to be happy in a Whedon verse. Uh, so it, it's possible that we could get stuff like that again, but obviously you would much prefer 
for the negotiations to go well, for the writers to get the considerations they want for mm-hmm. the industry to treat the writers properly moving forward and then having no interruption whatsoever yeah. in, in content right. creation, because this affects everybody, obviously not just yeah. the writers. Like it's important. They get what they, they deserve, but also in, in the course of a strike, it means that all the people across the industry end up being out of work for mm-hmm. as long as it takes to resolve that. Well, including the writers. So that's the thing is it's there, you know, strikes, strikes are not just to, to stick it to the man, but it's because you're, you're giving up something yourself to try to get better conditions for everybody mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, so hopefully they can get, you know, uh, I know I personally would love it if they could get everything worked out in their new contract and not strike because, you know, as an actor, I need writers. Um, because, uh, exception of LNC, I don't like writing my own content. I love collaborating with others and I love the creative process, but being a writer is not my strong point. So content creation all by myself outside of LNC is not really my jam. So yeah. So, you know, selfishly, I hope they work it out, but also for these other people, I hope they work it out because nobody wants to, you know, take a hit to their income or, you know, their job. So, yeah. Well, let's move on to talk about some of the news that we have this week. Uh, First up, Ariel found a little uh, behind the scenes uh, promo for John Wick four, which was uh, uh, a part you know, like, like, so I, I, I am kind of hot and cold on John Wick. I've talked about before about how the movies make it seem like every single person in the universe of John Wick is a professional killer. And there's mm-hmm. no such thing as just a bystander. Like everybody is in on it. Um, but uh, uh, the behind the scenes look was really charming because it looked like actors were having the time of their lives doing uh, these crazy choreographed fights and stunts and, and just having a real fun time in, you know, living in the John Wick universe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I haven't been excited about John Wick four. I enjoyed the, I really enjoyed the first John Wick and then the subsequent, subsequent ones have all been, they've been okay, but they haven't been that first one. Right. Um, Mm. And I'm not super excited about John Wick four. I honestly could care less about the story, but watching all these people work hard and have fun and collaborate on the stunts that speaks to my heart. And I love that. And so uh, I, I don't know. I might be excited about John Wick 4 again. Again, not like I, if I go, if I watch the movie, I will be watching completely for like the technical, how how did they do this side of things? But also like I enjoy watching that behind the scenes and then comparing it to what I've learned in the couple of, uh, I'm hoping to take more, but in the couple of like firearms for film classes I've taken on how you work with guns and what your form is and how you, enter a room when you think there might be armed people. And so it's really cool. And it's interesting on a very technical level. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the, the choreography in the John wick movies has always been really impressive, uh, especially when the, the camera crew, the cinematographer, the director are all determined to show how, how fight scenes play out in a way where you can follow the action. Mm-hmm. That's always been my biggest pet peeve. And, uh, and, uh, more recent action movies. And by more recent, I mean like the last 20 years, really where you have a lot of action movies where the camera is so frantic or the lighting is so poor that you can't tell what the heck is going on. And you're like, I don't even know who just got punched. I know there was a punch, 
but I don't mm. know who threw it or who got hit by it. Um, I hate those. Like I like being able to see those scenes play out, especially when you sit there and think like people trained for months to get ready for these choreographed fight scenes. If you can't see what they're doing, it feels like it's an insult to the amount of time and effort they put into that sequence. Mm -hmm. So John wick tends to be pretty good about that. Although the fight scenes are also equally ridiculous because they involve a lot of gunfights where you're about, I don't know, eight feet away from your opponent. And yet there's a lot of missing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to that. I've never actually fired a gun. I feel like I should. I need to take at least gun safety classes. Sure. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think I think that's important for you to take both as an actor and just as a person to know how to yeah. safely handle a firearm. I say that as someone who has not done it myself. Yeah. I'm also notoriously not a fan of firearms. So I mean, I, I don't want to own one, but, you know, if. If I'm around one, I want to know how to be around it safe, safely yes. more than just for film. And then also like. You know, it's 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 important. Anyhow, yeah. uh, but if John Wick Four was too subdued <laughs> for you, yeah. If you were thinking, man, I wish John Wick had more decapitations and dismemberments and, and explosions knives directly through a head. Yeah, then directly. I- like, forget that skull. Skull? What? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that knife just sliced right through the skull like it was butter. Yeah. Uh, the studio behind John Wick has said yes and with a movie called Sisu. Uh, if you are not familiar with that, it's it's a term. Uh, it's a Finnish term. Uh, fin- Finnish people are known to have Sisu, which is like a, a hardiness and a, a stick with itness. Yeah, like, uh, a, like a, a courage and a mm-hmm. desire to to fight on even in the most adverse circumstances yes. you can imagine. And and the movie essentially is a very violent Nazi bashing in in Finland, um, which it 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 honestly feels a little more like Inglorious Bastards to me. Maybe just because of the content than John Wick. Um, yeah, I, I felt like that the violence depicted had a very Tarantino kind of feel to yeah. it in the sense of like I think of the Tarantino over the top violence that you would see in an Inglorious Bastards or The Hateful Eight, right? Mm-hmm. Like those were movies where the blood and the gore and the over the top violence reached hyper realistic levels. Like it was no longer realistic violence at all is over the top. Yeah. This trailer has nothing but that in it. Essentially the plot is you have this, uh, this guy who is a gold miner and also a former soldier. And uh, the Nazis are, are retreating across Finland that's set in 1944, but they're doing a scorched earth kind of a policy as they retreat and they happen across him as he is trying to take his latest uh, uh, spoils from mining to a a place where he can store it and they steal it from him. And then he goes Rambo all over their Nazi butts. Yes. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll see this. It might just be too, too much violence for me. However, uh, anybody who knows me, I don't know if I've probably said it on this podcast, but people who know me in, in like out on the street, uh, out on the streets, Ariel, uh, know that I love Finland. Uh, my great grandparents on one side of my family came over from Finland. Um, so, and anything that's fin- Finland's a really cool country and anything that's Finnish, I'm like, I'm super into, um, and this is not, there've been a bunch of like independent movies that, and, and like other things that have been focusing on like. Finnish people and Finnish culture lately. And I'm, I'm kind of like all for this possible, like Finnish revolution in media. 
Yeah. I, uh, I had a similar reaction in that when I watched this, I thought, yeah, this is a little much even for me. Like I, I used to love violent movies. I was, you know, I found it very entertaining and I was telling friend of the show, Shay, that, uh, that this one, like, as I was watching, I'm like, I'm not getting entry. I'm not getting as much entertainment out of this as I would have like 10 years ago, even seeing him fight undeniably evil characters with this over the top violence. I was like, this is a bit much for me. Maybe it's because just seeing, uh, even, even ridiculous, almost cartoonish violence enacted on people. Maybe I'm, I'm just so tired of people getting hurt that watching that kind of violence doesn't, it's not entertaining to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Even though the people yeah. who are reci- receiving it out completely deserve it. Yeah. I, for me, it goes back to that. Um, I know that they often say in storytelling, you should uh, show and not tell because that's more intriguing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I need things left to my imagination. You don't need to you, see someone explode after they've stepped no, on a mine and their can leg lead go it, flying in the air. You can lead every once in a while because we're getting a couple of trailers. There was some violence that made me laugh out loud, but, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, every once in a while it's okay, but y- you don't, you don't have to follow through all the time. You can, you can fade to black on some of that. Yeah. Well, this was, I think it's the glorification of violence. That is the, yeah. the thing that I balk yeah. at. And, and that's not, you know, not everyone balks at that. And I'm not saying anyone's a bad person if they really enjoy violent movies. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that I have changed. And for me now, movies that are glorifying violence are not, they don't seem fun to me anymore. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't mean the movie's bad or that people who enjoy it are bad. It just means I'm different than I used to be. And change is okay. Look, I've changed because the new trailer for the, the movie, The Power, is it a movie? Anyhow, yeah. we talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, the new trailer looks really good and interesting to me, whereas the old trailer left me kind of meh. Yeah, this is the uh, story about how girls around the world uh, seemingly spontaneously develop the ability to emit electricity. Like they're able to zap stuff. Some of them are able to do it more effectively and at greater distances than others. Uh, but it isn't isolated to a single person or even apparently a single group of people, but more like spread throughout the world. And so the trailer that we saw shows how certain characters react to this power manifesting within these girls. Like some of the girls are clearly uh, using the power now to their own advantage or to punish others Uh, there's one in particular, she's kind of set up to look like she's going to be kind of an antagonist where she's kind of reveling in the ability to use her power to, uh, cow others Mm -hmm. and to, to kind of turn the tables on men in particular who previously had been kind of the oppressors. And then there are others who seem to be using it mainly for like to defend themselves or in some cases they don't really want to use it at all. It just kind of happens and it is really intriguing. Yeah. 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 And it, you know, it shows like what, what like systems in power, how they might respond to that, you know, Um, systems currently in power might respond to this new power. Uh, This new trailer is really good. Um, It's got John Leguizamo in it. And I I already like him much better than in violent night in this trailer. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, but I mean, he's nowhere near as good as he was in the menu, right? I haven't watched that yet. Oh, it's so good. I know, but I have to be in a mood because, again, there's just a lot of, like, mean-spirited violence in it from what I understand. Like, I wouldn't call it mean-spirited. <laughs> you say with that growl in your voice, Jonathan. Well, that doesn't instill a bunch of uh I mean, confidence. they all deserve it, so. <laughs> still, still. Um, I, I will watch it. I just haven't, it, it hasn't, I haven't been in the correct mood for it yet. Uh, we also got a trailer for The Machine, um, which this is the trailer that I watched and some violence and it made me laugh because this, this, I don't even want to spoil the moment in the trailer, but this guy tries to shoot someone and he misses and it causes a chain reaction that is so ridiculous that I just laughed incredibly loud out loud yeah it, um, it, it, it makes him more effective than james bond but only by accident yeah and the story uh and john can correct me if i'm wrong but is about like this comedian or this guy who who accidentally befriended the russian mafia and then this movie picks up where he's kind of older and i guess he has a family and his dad doesn't believe him but then the russian mafia russian mafia calls on him again um it looks so dumb yeah. Right. So, so the, the story behind it is in case you've never seen, so Bert Kreischer is the, is the comedian and he has this routine he does called the machine where he tells this story about how, when he was in college, he went on a class trip to Russia. He took Russian in college, uh, was not a very good student at all. Like this is part of the routine, barely speaks any Russian at all, hardly anything. In fact, the only thing he really can say is I am the machine. And um, on a uh, a train, his his class ends up essentially hiring a member of the Russian mafia to be kind of a, a, a guard for the, the class to make certain that they're able to pass safely through different parts of Russia. And then the story goes that he ends up befriending the mafia. They end up bringing him on as almost kind of like a mascot he ends up getting incredibly drunk with them. They end up taking him on a uh, on an escapade to rob the train, and he ends up participating in a train robbery with the Russian mafia. This is all part of his comedy routine. And it's a very funny routine. And then the movie is a fictional version where, like like Ariel was saying, uh, consequences from that train robbery from his college days come back to uh hit him and uh honestly the bright spot for me of this trailer was just mark hamill being crazy mm -hmm. that was good that was good um yeah so jonathan's like we can drop this if you want but it looks i mean it just looks like a fun movie and it's not a superhero movie it, you may not call it geeky but it's got yeah mark hamill so it counts yeah um, it has mark hamill and for comedy geeks out there it's a movie that was inspired by a, a routine a comedic yeah, routine of by a stand-up comedian true so uh yeah check out the trailer um it, it's it's like if john wick were absolutely goofy uh and now we get to the part of the show where jonathan made me watch a scary trailer yeah, uh, it's it's almost as regular a, a segment as 30 seconds or less at this point. Yes. This one, though, I expected to hate it. And I didn't. It's uh, for the movie The Pope's Exorcist, which uh, stars Russell Crowe. Um, I was really upset because I thought originally this was going to be about the Pope taking aerobics. 
that's, that's an exercisist. Yeah. I was Exer, very, or, not I, or. I didn't read it properly. Well, you could have also thought that he was like an ex-orchist. Or I could have uh, thought that he was, <laughs> that his job is to actually exorcise the Pope. Like, like yeah. he, he's there to, to banish the Pope. <laughs> like every, every like two and a half years, the Pope just needs a little tidy up. Um, yeah. You just this, see some smoke above the Vatican. You're like, oh, they got exercised again. Yeah. So this is, this is about, um, uh, they say it's, it's based on, on a tr- like true events, but I, I'm not familiar with the event. No, so it's based on files in the Vatican, which okay. you might as well say this is based on, you know, random stuff. Uh, anyhow, this guy, he's an exorcist, but like at the beginning of the trailer, they actually say a good number of people. He, uh, recommends go to like, uh, specialists, like mental, uh, like mental and physical healthcare providers, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, but every once in a while, there's just something that's really evil. And he goes about him, like, uh, fighting this evil and hunting this evil and this evil, evil wanting to, uh, uh, oh God, what is it? It's not, not exercise him. <laughs> they don't do sweat into the oldies. Possess, Possess him. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah the, um, the, it, the, it's, it, it unfolds in the trailer that this one particular demonic force uh, specifically wants to confront this, this priest and that mm-hmm. he, the, the, or he, the, it, the demonic presence uh, specifically has a, a plan for this exorcist and that, mm-hmm. uh, that it's a trap essentially that it's, it's an attempt to get the exorcist to come to yeah. this location. Um, and I, I don't like, there's definitely gonna be scary stuff in it and there's definitely gonna be gross stuff in it because there can't not be right. Yeah. But it kind of like the trailer kind of gave me almost like an Indiana Jones or a Da Vinci's notebook or like a, a legend of King Arthur feel to many portions of it. Uh, that intrigued me. It, it definitely. So there were clear nods to the film, the exorcist, like mm-hmm. the, the Linda Blair movie that yeah, came yeah, out definitely. decades ago. Yeah. Like, like you see stuff and like, okay, well this is, this is like a, a, a reference to that. So is this. So to the point where there were so many elements in the trailer where I was thinking, this looks like, they decided to take some of the most effective moments in the exorcist. And rather than have a very slow movie, cause the exorcist is a long and slow moving film, but it's all mm-hmm. meant to, to build tension throughout the film, mm-hmm. but it's not fast moving. This one looks like it's going to be way faster. And I'm not sure that that means better. Maybe for some audiences it will, but for me, it doesn't work so well because like you, I felt like there was, almost like take the exorcist and mix it with a epic fantasy film and you yeah. get something like this. And, and as I was watching it, I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to like this one. I love the exorcist though. That's the thing is like, I, the exorcist and the exorcist three, two very, very different movies, both of which I think are masterpieces. I, um, exorcist I haven't, two, should never be watched. <laughs> I have not watched The Exorcist 3. The Exorcist, I think it is a masterpiece. I also, oh, pardon me, would never watch it for fun. Um, <laughs> it's not fun to me, but this one seems fun. So, but you know, that's why we have different kinds of movies because some things appeal to you and some things appeal to me. And mm-hmm. and I think I said Da Vinci's Notebook, but I meant the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> oh, instead of, instead of the acapella band? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, speaking of things that are scary, actually, this is not scary at all. Um, I came across an article looking for things this week where James Cameron kind of compared himself to Tolkien and Peter Jackson and it, with his Avatar series. And I kind of, I came, I came to this party to gripe, but I think his efforts and his mindset are good. Even if he himself said it might be a little cheeky to compare himself to Tolkien and to, to Peter Jackson, who created the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies and the Hobbit movies should have only been one movie. If that, um, but, and I love the Hobbit, but he was talking about like how he wants to create this expansive world in this long ranging story. Um, and to do that, he, he can't, he can't be Peter Jackson without being Tolkien first. Like he's got to create this world and he's got to create these it, stories that people invest in and, and this great expanse. And then he can create a, a great expanse of movies. He doesn't want to just create movies to create movies. He wants it to be something. I really, I think that's a noble goal. And I really wish that his avatar stories appealed to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I see what he's saying in the sense that Peter Jackson took pre-existing epic literature in the form of Lord of the Rings created by a linguist who was hell bent on creating a fantasy world where his various invented languages could inhabit. And in the process created a, an extremely fleshed out mythology uh, that was a very, very deep, far deeper than what you get in Lord of the Rings, even just reading the regular books, not alone. Like the movies have a good amount of the mythology. The books have more, the appendices to the books have even more. And then things like the Cimmerillion and the unfinished tales have tons more material. Right. Um, so, so Peter Jackson had a lot to draw upon when he was making the Lord of the Rings movies. And James Cameron's point is, well, I'm making this, I have to make the world and everything first, and then I can make the movies adapted from that. Uh, it's just that there's not a previous published version of mm -hmm. the story. Cause I'm making it all up and I get what he's saying. And I agree with you. Like I wish the avatar films appealed to me. That being said, you know, avatar still is the top grossing film of all time. And avatar two is number three. Like, yeah, these are movies that, that even in the United States, there hasn't been as strong, a a, a fan base, Globally, these movies do great. And I, I have theories on that. The big one being this is a fully fictional universe that James Cameron has created. And it doesn't take place on Earth. So nobody on Earth is the like Earth. Humans are the bad guys, but it's just humans are bad guys, not yeah. the Russians are bad guys or the Koreans are bad guys. It's nothing like that. So, like, you can literally market this anywhere on Earth. And no one feels like they're being singled out and being told they're the yeah. bad guys. And therefore they have huge uh, swellings of fans. And also let's face it. These stories are not complicated. They are no. not complex stories. So it's easy to translate them and localize them across the world. Yeah. So I, I can't, you know, I haven't watched Avatar uh, Way of Water. I almost said Waterworld. <laughs> yeah. But I, I haven't watched it. And it's it's not even that I don't want to, like, give him more opportunities to tell a good story because he might get there. It might just not be there yet for me, right? Like, there mm -hmm. might be a hook that he finds that he digs into that is really, really cool. And I hope so. But the movies are so long. Mm-hmm. But that is so much time investment for me for for something that like 
is more pretty than anything else. The first movie to me, like the story was okay, but it was very pretty. But that's yeah. not enough for me to invest two hours into. So I hope he gets there. I really do. I think like I think it's a good mindset to have. As much as you and I have ragged on Avatar a little bit, it you know, like you said, it does well. I think yeah. I think that's a good mindset to have. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's no danger that you and I are going to even even come no, close to impacting the bottom line I, for James Cameron's cinematic universe. I don't think we will, but you know, I want to, I, I want to make sure we're cr- creating a space for people to be excited, you know, mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. our, for, for the people who do listen, you know, to be excited about the avatar, if that's something they're excited about the yeah, avatar, excited totally. about avatar. And, you know, and as a creator, I want to encourage people to create things. And I think I, I want to be encouraging and uplifting when I think it's due, it's not always due, but when I think it's due. So that's, that's all it is. Well, um, speaking about Tolkien and speaking about Lord of the Rings. Yes. One of the news stories to break uh, from Hollywood reporter was that Warner and new line cinema are planning on creating more Lord of the Rings films. At first I thought this meant that they were going to reboot Lord of the Rings and make a new fellowship, two towers and return of the King, which would have been interesting. Like they don't need it. They don't, they don't necessarily need it. But at the same time, I'm like, well, we've seen other stories be remade like more frequently than that. So if they really want to do it, they can. I don't know that they're going to come close to what we got with the original trilogy, but it sounds more like they're just going to make movies set in the middle earth world. Uh, maybe not even just Middle Earth, because like it all depends on what age you're talking about. Middle Earth is specifically like third age. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're going to get more movies. They can't do series because th- those Amazon rights are owned by Amazon, but they yes. can do they can do films and we're going to get some more films. This shouldn't come as a surprise because we already knew that Zaslov was really looking for franchises that could just be licenses it, to print money and existing was, franchises. Yes. Exi- Cause you don't want to have to establish one. That's hard. Don't establish a franchise. Yeah. I mean, just extend an existing one like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. That's well, so, or, or Batman. I can't like, I, I will see most Batman movies. I, so I can't be completely judgy here, but I, I do think that, I think that things like Lord of the Rings specifically, I think Harry Potter has run its course for a multitude of reasons beyond not liking um, J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think Lord of the Rings thrives on having characters that you you feel like you like the movies to me did so well because I had been on that journey with those characters. And now I'm getting to like be in that journey with those characters um the yeah. tv show only kind of did that for me i i feel i i they can do it but i feel like it's going to take a lot of i think it's going to take a lot of work it's going to basically be establishing whole new whole new people um to to invest in you know it's going it's going to take a lot of work for it to not feel like generic fantasy yeah i i think i think you're right on the money there like i think adapting lord of the rings had huge advantages over just creating more material that happens to take place in the same universe. That huge advantage is that you already had the Lord of the Rings books. So you had a, a base of people who were familiar with those books 
And the fans of those books became like the evangelists who promoted this, this movie and got lots of excitement out about it because they were really excited about the film. I remember when that first teaser trailer came out where you saw the fellowship crest that yes. hill oh, theaters, yes. theaters broke out oh, cheering. So right? good. So good. The first time I saw it, I was in a theater where like they tore the roof off and this was just a teaser in before we even get to whatever movie we were watching. And, um, but that was the sort of thing where, if you were in that space and you were not already familiar with Lord of the Rings, but you heard that reaction, you'd be like, I have got to check this out. This is this amount of love for this thing. There's got to be something there. And it's a lot harder, even when you're building upon this existing world to bring folks in. If, if you're not basing it off of an actual established work set in that world, because the fan base is going to be more suspicious, right? They're not, They're not um, automatically on board because it's a Middle Earth work. Well, if it's not a direct adaptation of a Tolkien story, they're going to be a lot more cautious. They aren't. They they aren't automatically invested. I uh, suspicious might be the wrong word, but they don't. That, they don't. That's fair. Have... Well, I I don't know. Sus- suspicious works for me. I don't want to project on everybody else. <laughs> um, that being said, you know. Uh, that being said, I uh, I if they are successful at this, great because I love I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I love the Hobbit. I love middle earth. I actually enjoyed rings of power for the most part. Um, even though I couldn't tell you half of their names, much like avatar. Hey, Oh, uh, <laughs> but you know, if, if it's successful, I am excited. I am, I am tentative on whether it will be successful. Uh, but before this episode becomes epic, uh, Hobbit lengths, um, <laughs> We have a few more stories. We should probably go through a little bit quicker than we've been going. Sure. So next up, we have info on uh, one of the casting choices for a live action adaptation of the Disney animated film Lilo and Stitch. Um, Zach Galifianakis has been cast, although we don't know as what. We don't Mm -hmm. know what part he's playing. Uh, Since it's Zach Galifianakis, I'm assuming he's one of the aliens. Because it would be I, miscast of epic proportion if he's playing a Hawaiian. Yeah. So um, I haven't talked about this because you know in the in the acting world you don't you don't share information that's not public knowledge, right? You, 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 there's lots of NDAs. I'm not under NDA for this. I was not ever. I didn't get to audition for Lilo and Stitch, but I did see the casting call come through because they had a very wide casting call to find people who fit. You know. <laughs> people to fit uh, the characters. I suspect that he's going to be like the big dude, the big alien dude, mm. not well, even he, stitch. He, he could also be plinky the, or whatever, the one eyed guy. Yeah. Uh, he that could Kevin be. McDonald played as um, the voice actor. I, so I like Lilo and stitch and I am super excited to have uh, more, more representation of that culture in, in uh, films. However, it very much falls into that. Why is this live action over half the characters are not <laughs> are yeah. going to be animated? It, it, it's kind of like when you, they had the quote unquote live action Lion King. And you're like, mm-hmm. OK, well, these are real, real uh, uh, landscapes, but <laughs> yeah. the animals are all CGI. Um, I yeah, I don't. Uh, I You know me. I am not a big fan of these live action remakes of animated films. I am excited about the little mermaid because I, Me do too. Think I was just about to say that <laughs> that's the one exception. 
so far because I feel like the changes that they've made are ones that are interesting and they intrigue me and I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lilo and Stitch, like I love that cartoon. It's one of my wife's favorite Disney movies. Uh, Stitch is probably her favorite Disney character. And maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm too much of a fan of the original and therefore mm-hmm. any like desire to remake it. I'm just like, but why we already have that movie and it's great, but who knows? Maybe this will be one of those live action remakes where ultimately I'll say, you know, I don't think we needed it, but it was good. Uh, I, I, I just, it's rare for me to say that. I agree. I like stitch. I think stitch is one of my husband's favorite characters. Um, although he did kind of stitch did take kind of a dip for me when they replaced alien encounters at Disney world magic kingdom with the stitch experience, uh, which is not the name uh, for it, but that's no, one. you much preferred the, the, the experience scary you... one that didn't fit within the park, but yes, I did. And you, um, get to watch, you get to watch alien cruelty as a alien is terribly mangled in a teleport machine. I mean, I think, I think it, I think the, the aliens uh, retribution was called for. Um, uh, but, but, um, yeah, maybe it'll be good. I just want to go back to a little mermaid thing real quick, uh, for anybody who is Anne of green Gables or Anne of Avonlea fans, like their tiny brief, we got it like a new trailer recently ish about it. I don't remember if we talked about it last week where we got to see a tiny little clip of Melissa McCarthy as uh, Ursula. We get to see a tiny little clip of Prince Eric. Prince Eric was given off like serious Gilbert Blythe vibes from like Anne of Avonlea. Um, Mm. If, if you're a fan of that, go back and watch it. You'll see it. And uh, Ursula, <laughs> Ursula, you get to see just a little a little bit of her face because her tentacle is going across and blocking like yeah. half her face. And you get to hear the laugh. But the laugh was perfect. Yeah, um, I got to see that. So on the small screen watching that trailer, uh, I, the only thing like that hasn't gotten me is the the mermaids like top. They've changed it. They've made it a little bit more modest, which I'm totally fine with, but it just feels CGI to me. It feels weird. It doesn't feel quite right to me for some reason. Um, but that trailer on the big screen holds up. It is so good. Oh, great. So good. Yeah. Okay. Three more quick stories. Uh, Call of Duty is coming to Nintendo. Tell us for, why, Jonathan. For the next 10 years. Okay. So I'll do the short version of this. Microsoft yes. last year announced that it was going to acquire Activision Blizzard, which is a big video game publisher. Activision Blizzard makes lots of different stuff, including the Call of Duty series. Now over in the European Union, there are some uh, regulators there who are opposing the Microsoft acquisition. They could actually block it from happening. And the reason for this is largely because Sony has been campaigning against the acquisition. Sony doesn't want to see Activision Blizzard become a Microsoft property. And the argument Sony has made is that if this happens, they could turn all those titles into being platform exclusive and then we'll never get access and it'll hurt competition in the industry. Microsoft has said, that's ridiculous. We're going to keep selling these titles on every console we can. We're not just going to keep it to Xbox. You don't have to worry about it. And Sony kept staying strong on this to the point where that this deal is in very much real danger of not going forward. So perhaps as a way to try and t- steal some of the thunder from Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo signed an agreement where Microsoft has guaranteed that for the next 10 years, the Nintendo platform will also get every Call of Duty game the same day that it comes out for every other platform like Xbox or PC. 
and that it will have access to all of the same content. It won't get a watered down version. And this is really meant more to try and convince regulators, hey, we want to play ball. In fact, we've invited Sony to come and sign a similar deal and they just they won't answer our calls. So this is a bad faith argument that Sony is making just to prevent us from making the acquisition we want to make. So it's very political. Uh, and ultimately it could end up being one of those things that hurts gamers in the long run. I don't know at this stage, whether that acquisition is going to be allowed to go through or not. It's, it's still a big question mark. Yeah. Uh, also in gaming news, Sony gave us a state of play uh, with a lot of looks at a lot of their games coming out, including Destiny 2, Resident Evil 4, which is bringing back uh, Mercenaries mode, which I'm not familiar with because I haven't played it. Baldur's Gate 3, which, uh, yay, Baldur's Gate, but also um, looks kind of like um, Diablo to me and like a new look at the at the Suicide Squad, Killed the Justice League video game and Street Fighter 6 and a whole bunch of good stuff. Uh, yeah. Honestly... The game that looked most interesting to me is called The Foglands, which is described as a haunted first-person shooter um, because it's got a really interesting art style. Is that one of the VR games? Yes. Yeah, uh, because they had a lot of stuff. So the VR is is kind of... Sony's trying really hard to re regain the ground on VR because when they announced the price tag for the VR 2, it's like 550 bucks for that. And you know that's in addition to having a PlayStation 5. So it's really expensive. And a lot of people heaped criticism on Sony saying this is making VR a really tough sell, but the titles hopefully will help those who can afford <laughs> to, to drop a thousand dollars on a gaming system and a VR peripheral to, uh, to, to push it forward. That's one of the biggest problems with VR is that it's just hard for developers to justify making games because so few people uh, in comparison, own the systems. Uh, I will say real quick, Suicide Squad looks terrible to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. It doesn't <laughs> look great to me. Yeah, they, all the characters seem to have very similar abilities to the point where besides their skins, they largely behave the same way. So you almost ask, why do you bother? Plus, it looks like they're floating in the air forever. Uh, Harley Quinn, for some reason, is able to grapple like she's Spider-Man, even if there's nothing for her to grapple onto. I don't get it. It does not it's, look it's good. It's the sticky grease paint. Um, uh, you know, if you want to watch the the trailers, we'll we'll post the ING art. You can Google it, or we'll post the ING article on or the IGN um, article. Yeah, the IGN article even. Um, on our website, www.largechargecollider.com, yeah. along with all of our show notes. Um, Ariel's I, trying to barrel through because we've been over an hour now, yeah. but I'm just going to say one other thing, which is that Baldur's Gate 3 had spits where you got to see a 20-sided die on the screen and it made me happy. Yes. I, I mean, I think it looks fun, but it also kind of looks like Diablo to me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've never played Baldur's Gate, but I, I'm, you know, I'm watching through Go Vox for the Maka eyes, right boo. Go for the eyes. Uh, I'm watching through Vox Maka right now, even though D&D has had a bunch of people really mad at them. I still enjoy the content. I feel mm -hmm. guilty about it. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, show notes will be on on that website um, probably sometime a few days after you listen to this, if you listen to it when it comes out. Because uh, <laughs> I'll work on it this weekend. Yes. Um, and then uh, Mortal Kombat 12 is coming out this year. Yeah, and this we found out in a way that's not the typical way you find out through about big video game releases. Typically 
uh, a, a video game company will hold a, an event and then unveil it. And then that gets gamers all excited. In this case, uh, the news was spilled by David Zaslov himself, the Zaz Daddy, as he was on an earnings like call. That. Yeah, Zaz Daddy was on an earnings call with uh, with investors. And uh, in the process, he he let the cat out of the bag and explained that later this year, Mortal Kombat 12 will launch. And I feel like this is just one of those things where David Zaslov doesn't have a real appreciation for how these these projects typically get announced that because it takes it takes like all the all the surprise out of it now and you know i i feel for everyone who was working on mortal kombat 12 who was looking forward to a big reveal surprising the fan base I totally get that. I, I totally get it from like a, a creator and, and a pa- being passionate about it, but it's also Mortal Kombat 12. Um. <laughs> yeah. But it, did you see the person 12. that they said they hinted could be in Mortal Kombat 12? I didn't. Homelander. Oh no. From the I don't want... Okay, cool. For people who are excited about that. Awesome. I don't like the character of Homelander. Well, that's why know. he's perfect for Mortal Kombat. Like you yeah. want to play a character who can beat up on Homelander. I guess so. I guess so. Um, if you have thoughts on that or anything else we've talked about, you should write us and tell us uh, if you've made it to Mount Doom with us, which is the end of this episode. Uh, no, Mordor. No, Mount Doom. Yes, that's correct. I'm wasting so much time going back and forth in my head. Jonathan, how can they reach out to us? Well, or, wait, can... Yar, how can they reach out to us? Uh, the, th- the pirate thing is so an hour and 14 minutes okay. ago. Okay, fine. They can go and shop at their local store that sells uh, new and used vinyl. And you'll thumb through the boxes until you find a strange blank vinyl sleeve that's not of any particular color. You wouldn't be able to name the color at all, but you'll know that that's the right one. And you must go and purchase this vinyl and if they charge you anything more than seven dollars and 77 cents you've been you've been robbed my friend but then you take this vinyl home and you put it on a turntable if you do not have a turntable you're going to need to buy or borrow one and you will place the needle the stylus of your turntable on the third track on side b of this blank disc and there you will hear further instruction that will lead you down a path where there is no turning back. There is no way for you to atone for the things that you must do once you follow this path. So you better be certain when you start. And at the end of it, you will find me and I will answer your questions. And if that just creeped you out as much as it creeped me out, uh, you can also contact us through social social media uh, and Twitter. We're LNC underscore podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Discord. We're Large Nerdron Collider. And uh, you can email us as well. That email is largenerdronpod. That's L-A-R-G-E-N-E-R-D-R-O-N-P-O-D at gmail.com. And until next time, I am Jonathan two turntables and a microphone Strickland and I am Ariel uh, there and back again casting the large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced edited published deleted undeleted published again cursed at 
by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com.